I think sterile processing's ability to effectively provide value to our customers, our organizations, and our patients is directly related to our ability to eliminate waste in preference cards and keep it away permanently. So really, this is what compelled us to undertake process improvement action in this particular space. I'm Adam Bulka, and this is the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'll be talking to supply chain experts from around the world, experts who are tackling challenges in their corner of the industry. People are change makers that drive innovation. That's why this supply chain podcast is about learning from those who lead by example. I hope that the conversations you hear will inspire you to drive change within your organization. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Polka, and today I'm joined once again by my co-host for the episode, Corey Turner. Today, we're focusing on the healthcare supply chain with special guests Susan Pfeiffer and Seth Adkins from Sanford Health. In today's healthcare landscape, the role of supply chain is more critical than ever. The constant pressure to reduce costs, increase efficiency, and avoid supply chain disruption, all while focusing on priority one, the patient. Corey caught up with the impressive team over at Sanford to discuss how they have taken their preference card game to the next level, running at over 90% accuracy and staying on course for continuous improvement. A quick PSA before we jump in, uh, Corey and the Texas team will be in Orlando this month for ARM 2023. Uh, in case you want to connect with us, head to texas.com ARM23 for details. And the team at Sanford Health will also be there. Uh, they will be hosting a learning lab to do a deep dive into their optimization journey and how they shaved off millions of dollars in inefficiencies within their perioperative practice. So if this conversation intrigues you, be sure to catch that session if you're headed to ARM. Without further ado, over to you, Corey. Hello, everyone. My name is Corey Turner, and I'm the Senior Director of Healthcare Strategy for Texas. So let's jump right in and let me introduce who we have on our panel today. From Sanford Health, we're joined by Susan Pfeiffer and Seth Adkins. Susan is the Director of Sterile Processing for Sanford Health in Fargo, North Dakota, and has more than 30 years experience in healthcare, all of them being in sterile processing. Seth is the Surgical Services Business Manager for Sanford Health in Fargo, North Dakota, and has five years of experience with Sanford. And today we're gonna to start out with Susan, so glad you're joining us, Susan, today. Thanks, Corey, for having us. If you could take just a moment and tell us a little bit about Sanford Health. Sure. Um, Sanford Health is the largest rural health system in the United States, headquartered in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, and rooted in the Midwest. Our organization is dedicated to transforming healthcare experience and providing world-class care in America's heartland. Uh, we have four markets within Sanford Health, um, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota, Bismarck, North Dakota, and Bemidji, Minnesota. So the work that we're going to discuss here today um, took place at our within our Fargo market. So when we're talking about this project, why did why did SBD start a project like this? Because <laughs> we're crazy. No. <laughs> um, really, you know, preference cards are the tool used to provide a list of supplies, instruments, and equipment that a surgeon will use for a surgical procedure. 
they also set in motion um, all productive activities of sterile processing. You know, our preference cards were inaccurate, and that was something that was evident to the entire team that works in sterile processing. So the inaccuracy results um, in substantial waste and expense, and in some cases, you know, potentially can jeopardize patient care and safety. I think the waste in preference cards has a significant impact to the system in regard to overordering or shortages, overstocking and damaged goods of, of inventory, activities of hoarding, and then um, you know, resource visibility management, case delays, and other ways such as defects within process, overproduction, extra processing, transportation, motion, and waiting. So there's a lot. There's a lot of stake um, in doing a project like this. I think sterile processing's ability to effectively provide value to our customers, our organizations, and our patients is directly related to our ability to eliminate waste in preference cards and keep it away permanently. So really, this is what compelled us to undertake process improvement action in this particular space. So when we're talking about the, the metrics on the financial and clinical side, what's the impact look like for both? You know, there's, there's got to be impact involved when you're looking at financial and clinical and you're doing these metrics. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, this also kind of goes back to spending a lot of time looking at these and trying to figure out um, how we can best share what the impact is and understand the impact. Because, um, I mean, it's a lot. You're talking about each different individual like inventory item and location within the OR. So really kind of identifying that is, was a task. And I think, like I said earlier, I think Susan and I have spent a lot of time talking about it. <laughs> um, but kind of tying the financial metrics back to um, our income statement and our balance sheet was really our, our goal with the financial side of it. We wanted to be able to show savings um, from both ends of that, the balance sheet and the income statement. And we came up with two, um, two metrics or impacts from those metrics I discussed earlier to show that. So um, the first one that we use to show like the balance sheet impact is the reduction in overall warehouse inventory within our surgical inventories. So the idea here is that by not having as many items kind of on a cycle of being picked and put away, we're able to um, minimize the amount of items we need on site. Um, that will come across as a balance sheet impact. And for us, we typically view inventory as, I mean, it is an asset, but um, a lot of the items that we're talking about are items that are low use and are sitting in this like, okay, it's going up to the OR and now it's coming back down. And it just sits in that cycle. So really what ends up happening most of the time with these items is they expire after two to three years and then we're buying new ones. And it just gets stuck kind of in that repeat. So really we're just expensing more and more um, dollars in that. So that's that kind of balance sheet um, approach that we've looked at with reducing inventory. The other um, financial metric we've used is a um, measurable reduction in labor hours. So now instead of 
um, kind of going back to those eight lines removed on average, I, I forget what our exact time amount is, but it takes someone time to go and grab that. So when you take that across all the cards that we've done, um, you're, you're able to come up with a, a minute by minute basis um, that we use to quantify, okay, here's our labor savings from reducing the items on these cards. So that one comes back and has a very real income statement and even productivity um, impact as well. And those, and those, you know, things that you're measuring, you know, you're talking about there's the, they they seem relatively small impact, but it just snowballs. You know, it it grows exponentially as you're covering multiple preference cards along the way, multiple you know departments or surgical lines. So, oh yeah, and even if you have one surgeon who's doing maybe to, like shoulder arthroscopies all day every day, like yeah, we removed eight items from his, from the card or whatever, but. Um, when you have five of those cases being done in a day, that adds up quickly. Most of And when you do it across all of the different cases and surgeons, and it, it really builds out really quickly that you can see there are time savings and productivity savings with doing that work. Um, so those are really, from those uh, financial data points, those are where we've really kind of created our, like, here's the impact of these. Um, shifting now to the um, clinical impacts, I think this is a beast in itself. Like there's so many different areas that are being impacted, um, but we've continuously worked on evaluating this and trying to come up with different ideas to, to show that clinical impact. Um, I think the first to note, and I was kind of, hinting at this a little bit earlier, but when we're doing this review of procedure cards, it's not just um, looking at just the procedure card, it's really expanded to looking at the inventory for that specialty and for that surgeon so that you're, you're taking a step back and you're not just fixing one area or messing with one area, you're really kind of trying to make it holistically um, improved, which by doing that, you're um, making more standard locations throughout um, the uh, OR and the different inventory locations that are already created. Um, I think once you like start building through this, it just kind of continuously grows. And um, I, I know that Susan probably won't like me for this, but well, I'll ask her to give us an analogy here in a second on um, kind of what this looks like, but it, it's a lot when I'm just talking about it and like, here's all the different locations that you have and none of it's standard. And now trying to show somebody like, okay, go and do that, go pull this item from it. Um, but I'll let Susan do her um, analogy on this. It's, it's actually great at kind of summarizing this dilemma that we've seen within the within OR inventory, um, and it is about spoons from a, so, a silverware drawer within a kitchen, and I think it's brilliant. Yeah, thanks for that, Seth. I, uh, I have found that <laughs> I, had, I just even recently this week, I had another analogy that was from um, our kitchen, so they're, they're, they're starting to morph 
but you know, I, you know, unless you work in, in sterile processing or in healthcare or, or supply chain, it's, this is a very complex system. It seems very simplistic preference cards. It should be a bill of materials and easy to do, but it's not, it's extremely complex. And so Sometimes we really have to be able to put it in layman's terms for people to understand. So I like to equate it to spoons in your silverware drawer. So everybody has a, you know, we all have kitchens and we all have a standard place by which we put spoons. So imagine if everyone in your family independently decided to reorganize the spoons or say they had an experience where they were eat yogurt and they went to get a spoon and there wasn't a spoon. So the next time it was full, they took a spoon, put it in the fridge next to the yogurt, or people started putting it next to the cereal or next to the oatmeal and started redistributing spoons to assure that they would have something available when they went to go eat or to do something. And that's kind of what happens within perioperative inventory. People don't trust the system and they start to make independent decisions of where they want to put items. And we find that we didn't reduce our inventory, but inventory isn't available. And as a result, we have to go buy more to fill the spoon drawer. Um, and so really having standardized locations and having some curves and gutters about the way that we store items and have them available really um, helps to create efficiency and make reliable and repeatable processes. Because within when you're in a crisis situation, people need to know where to go. There's an old saying that the more inventory you have, the less inventory you have. And so I think the idea of having standardized locations really enables people to go to one singular location. And so we use the spoon analogy to kind of put that in layman's terms about keep the spoons in the drawer. I think that's great because nobody wants to run out of spoons and there's not a clinician or a surgeon in this country who wants to run out of supplies to take care of their patients. So I think it's a, it's a perfect analogy. And I, I think it kind of segues into one of the um, like clinical impacts that we've been really trying to focus on is um, making OR orientation easier from that type of inventory standpoint. Um, and I, I think this is the perfect way to make it easier, right? You have, instead of now it's like, okay, your spoon's here, here, and here. It's okay, you have this one spot to go for this item. That's where it's at all the time. It will be there, that's where you go. It's much easier from an education standpoint just to give that one spot for that item than to have it everywhere. Um, and I think we've seen that with some of those locations that we've implemented. Um, so I think it's a great analogy and I think it really summarizes kind of that the massive beast that is uh, inventory within the OR and helps to really kind of summarize it well. Um, Another one of the, I have two more, um, I guess, clinical outcomes I've, um, that we've been seeing. Um, one of them also is, uh, there's a lot of variables within it, but I think it, it makes sense from um, that inventory standpoint that we would see some type of reduction in our OR room turnover. So our, after a case, when we're switching over the room to get it ready for the next case. Um, we've, we've been working on trying to identify this more, but again, OR room turnover is 
has many different variables that contribute to, to it being good or bad. Um, but I think if, like when I step back and think about it, if, if we're having less items going to a room that are being used more frequently, you should see a reduction in having to clean up those items because there's not as many to clean up or put away. And then on the, the setup side, you should have a quicker setup because you're not having to sort or you know, set up as many items that aren't actually being used. So um, we've been trying to measure that, but it, it is harder to look at because of all those different variables that contribute to turnover. Um, but I would say the, the one final point that we've really started to look at a bit more frequently from a clinical standpoint is uh, clinician and surgeon feedback with the project. So um, historically, we actually kind of did this um, kind of behind the scenes. And now we've, and, and it worked well. Um, but we have also had some surgeons and um, clinicians that want to be involved in it and want to um, know what's going on with it, which I, I think is great because it increases the buy-in to the project anyways. But um, we start to started to like one of the main feedback points we heard from it involving those groups was trying to get the feedback from the teams that it's impacting, which is a fair point because you know, if we're doing something great, let's keep doing that. But if there's something that maybe isn't going as well, it lets us know and kind of build and change the, the project as we go. So I'd say those are kind of the main finance and clinical um, impacts that we've really tried honing in on with the project. Man, that's great. You know, you can really, when you hear you guys talking, you can really understand the magnitude of this kind of project. There's people out there, they're listening and they're going, you know, I don't know that I can do this. This is a big task, or I don't know that I want to do this, or, or there's lots of things running through their mind. You know, you guys have, have went through this process and are still, you know, an ongoing, it's not a, it's not maintenance now, it's ongoing, it's ongoing, it's ongoing. Share some best practices. What are the, some of the things that you have, you have learned along the way that, you know, you could recommend to other organizations? Yeah, I think there's a there's a few things. One, um, you need to engage a champion. And I think in our case, we were able to engage um, an OR champion who was the director of um, of the operating room at our orthopedic hospital. And she was really critical in, um, you know, being somebody who could help the initiative, but also um engage her team um, because this is this is really a while it's about inventory and it's about preference cards and understanding all of those physical components this is really adaptive work mm -hmm. this is really getting down to changing a culture and so having somebody that is willing to take on that risk and be courageous with their team and removing some of those um, cultural barriers, I think was really critical. As we try to move on to other, um, other campuses and do this work, we find ourselves having to recreate um, engaging a champion. And, and if you don't have one, it's, it's simply, um, it simply doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is really one of the critical points um, I think tying it back to the patient, sometimes we can get really caught up in a single product 
like where should it go and how should we um, how should we store it and is it being scanned appropriately and we get really down in the mud about that. So I think tying it back to the patient um, helps to kind of level set where we are. When we talk about scanning compliance, it's not that we're saying you need to scan this product, but by not scanning that product appropriately, it's impacting the patient's operative record. And, you know, from a clinician's standpoint, that's really, really important. So tying it back to the patient is one. Um, near and dear to my heart is obviously employing lean as a strategy by which to do work. You know, using data, following the lean principles, um, and creating standard operating procedures, right? You can't improve unless you have a process by which to improve. Um, so I think leading with data, you know, Texas really enabled us to have the data points necessary to do this work. Um, and data has enabled us to increase the competence really of the project and helps to improve connectivity between processes and products um, and services and customers. So building a process improvement culture um, and an environment that requires, you know, the integration of technology um, really, I think, is critically important. Um, integrating lean basics um, into our project with, um, you know, a dedicated effort from the team collaborating together towards improving every single process while, you know, trying to eliminate as many of the eight wastes as possible, I think, was, um, was an activity that was critical. Um, and then developing standard work. It really comes down to having a highly reliable system. Um, creating repeatable and reliable work to ensure that we do um, the work consistently every time and engaging the OR and SPD teams to executing tasks in that fashion um, with a specific set of rules and processes um, is important in helping to reduce errors um, and waste and risks that are involved in doing work um, or improvement work in a very, very complex system. Oh, that's that's great. I um I think that you know our audience will will share in my belief that you can feel the passion from you guys. You can feel that you know you're doing this for a purpose. And I love how you tie that back to patient care always, because in the healthcare system, whether we be in supply chain, my background, sterile processing, oh, you know, it's all about the patient care. So whatever we do, whether it be clinical impact financial impact, what we're measuring, you know, we have to keep that as a focus. And I, and I love that you guys, you know, try to keep that first and foremost and everything. Thanks for that fantastic conversation, Corey. All good things must come to an end. Uh, and here we are. Uh, our thanks to Corey and the team at Sanford Health for joining us on today's episode. Once again, catch up with us or them at ARM 2023 in Orlando if uh, you happen to be attending. And until then, thanks for tuning in. This has been The Great Supply Chain Podcast. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. I hope our guests sparked some new ideas and inspired you to push the boundaries of supply chain. New podcasts will be published on the first of every month. In the meantime, please reach out with your thoughts or questions or even an idea for a future episode. You can email us at texaspodcast at texas.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as a new episode goes live. And please share it with a colleague and leave a review. Until then, this has been the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Adam Polka, and thank you for tuning in.